0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soul Tree Conversations. My name is Nefer Nertatira. I welcome you for joining me again, returning newcomers, um, for sitting in this space with me. And um, our topic, my topic today is going to be intergenerational trauma and what that means for community, um, specifically the Black Indigenous persons of color community but you know take away from it whoever um needs it so before i begin i am going to honor our ancestors always honor the ancestors so just you know take a nice deep breath with me if you want get yourself settled in because we are going to call them to us so honoring I call on the essence of the primordial mothers and the elements of the cosmic world. I honor the North for foundation, South for passion, East for vision, and West for feeling. I thank the earth, I thank the air, I thank the fire, I thank water, and I thank the ether. Thank you to Mother Earth and Father Sky for the life you sustain and protection you provide. Thank you to the pioneers of woke, magic and mysticism thank you to all of the diasporic and indigenous ancestors of righteous actions that work with us daily your wisdom is always healing, your guidance is follows and your support is always appreciated may you sit with us on this day and continue to assist at this table of sacred space so again i welcome you Thank you for joining. I have a beautiful, lovely guest here with me. She is my family. I don't know, I'm just like on this family pick right now because my family, they do great things and they have a lot to offer. And Why should I not keep it in house, right? At first, anyway. So I have with me, Michelle Frierson. Hello, young lady.
1: Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good on this lovely. Saturday morning trying You're to get nice myself day. together with some tea some nice little peppermint and chai tea I mix it a bunch of stuff together oh that
0: sounds really so, good yeah refreshing and peaceful yeah <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself outside of what I already know but you know let our our listeners know who you are what you do why you do okay
1: so I am a mental health therapist um so I'm a licensed social worker but I'm a therapist by trade. Um, so I run a solo private practice um, where I primarily see individuals. Um, I see you know, some preteens, but primarily adults. Um, and we work on a number of different things. Um, a large portion of my population struggle with trauma, anxiety, life transition, depression. Um, and those things are actually pretty common. Um, I see, you know, a few couples here and there, but my primary work is with individuals really struggling with, you know, the impacts of trauma, you know, dealing with different things that they're going through in their lives, moving from different positions, loss, you know, grief and loss, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of stuff. So I started out um, in community mental health out of college. So I went to Cleveland State University, got a bachelor's of social work went to Case Rest and Reserve and got a a master's of science and social administration. So that's just the equivalent to um, a master's of social work. Mm -hmm. Started out in community mental health, um, doing school-based therapy, in-home therapy um, in the inner city of Cleveland. And then over the course of my career, I kind of transitioned into doing private practice for um, a couple of different agencies. And then uh, within the last three years, I opened up my own private practice yeah so um but I actually started out in mental health because my oldest brother is a paranoid schizophrenic Mm -hmm. um he is 10 years older than me so I'm 37 soon to be 38 so he's 10 years older than me um when he was growing up you know he had a lot of issues um you know with a lot of uh like violence in the home, the police being called, a lot of fighting, different things like that and this was like when he was, from what I can recall he was probably between like 14 and 16 mm-hmm. um, but we didn't know my mom didn't know, you know, what was going on um, but she just was trying to, you know, maintain her household and then he went away to college, he went to um, Central State University and while he was there, um, he had a mental break and he ended up coming home So when he came home, you know, he was, you know, full-fledged psychotic episode. Like anything that you can imagine um, from a person experiencing psychotic symptoms, hallucinations, um, delusions, violence, paranoia, all of that. So he was experiencing that. But the thing that really stood out to me was the treatment that he got from his psychologist um, and how he educated us on his illness and the importance of having a consistent home life and family support and understanding in relation to the prognosis of his, of his illness. And I think for me, I't can't, I can't speak for the rest of my siblings um, you know specifically, but I know for me it helped for me to embrace my brother, as my brother, even being in that state, it helped to really normalize the things that he, you know, was going through and for me not to feel ashamed. You know, even though it was really scary, the one thing even up until this day that I'm so happy that I can say is I have never felt ashamed of him even when he was not consistent with his medication. I've always been able to advocate for him and speak up for him and protect him during those times where he was really vulnerable and not taking care of himself. Um, so that's the one thing that I appreciated about the education that I got from his psychologist. And I think mm-hmm. that that is something that really fuels like my fire and my passion about what I do in educating families about their um, family members who are really, really struggling with their you know, mental illnesses and the symptoms that come along with it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that is saying all that to say, is like that is what really introduced me to the mental health field and, and steered me in that direction.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like your brother's um therapist was more empathetic? Like how do you feel like I guess like now looking at it from the profession? Like mm-hmm. it, it at your at the time of being someone that wasn't in the profession yet and now you're in the profession, do you feel like the therapist kind of extended extra empathy with you know, with treatment for your brother? or
1: was it more, like, clinical? I feel like it was both. I feel like, you know, it was both. I I definitely feel like he possessed um, empathy cognitively and um, emotionally, but he Mm -hmm. was still appropriate with his boundaries. Um, I believe that he was very um, passionate and serious about the work that he was doing, Um, and I definitely see that there was a level of compassion that was there, and I don't know if it was because he you know, was a black male himself Mm. um, in his background. Mm. But I definitely, um, yeah, I definitely identify that, you know, he displayed cognitive and emotional empathy um, Mm. in that situation. Um, And it wasn't, um, it was clinical, but it wasn't a clinical distance. It was just a strong clinical sharing and understanding of um, my brother being a paranoid schizophrenic and and what he needed and preparing us for what could potentially come
0: right i appreciate that and the reason why i appreciate that is because um most of the time when people go into a setting where they have to address their mental illness or they're trying to discover what that mental illness is it gets overlooked by diagnosis so much that you're not necessarily thinking about the overall well-being of the person to even factor in what it means to like take care of and support family-wise when you are home um, you know it's like just take this medication I'll see you in two weeks you know they don't really prepare you on what that means for you to live with this condition and how your family can assist you with living with that condition so that is uh, very very great <laughs> and I think that's awesome especially because um, like you said it, it prepared you I'm sure I'm sure, just not in dealing with your brother but just on how you deal with people in general and looking at them with a more um, Focus eye, so you're not just taking it for face value. Like you're probably thinking more so about how you can interact with them so that way they can feel comfortable or not as um, tense in a setting with you. So I, I appreciate that. Um, what are you going to say? Go ahead,
1: I was going to say thank you as you
0: I know, sip my tea. You want <laughs> you know to sip it? Yeah. Okay. So um we had this conversation when I was asking if you wanted to have this talk with me about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. and we we kind of connected it a little bit to the whole Black Lives Matter instance that's happening right now or has happened with Brandon Taylor um George Floyd oh I'm happy I got his name right because I, really I don't know why I want to say Gordon so to his family or anybody that listens I apologize to George Floyd and just any other person of color that has been assaulted by an author- authoritative figure. And what it, what intergenerational trauma means? I was thinking about like the umbrella of Black Lives Matter. I don't like, adhere to Black Lives Matter and I have my own personal reasons for that. I just, you know, but understanding that it's not just about the murders happening it's about recognizing that our people, indigenous people, people of color, have extreme trauma embedded in us from the things that have happened with our family, generationally, um, the things that we're <coughs> accustomed to that mm-hmm. causes a lot of harm. And then when you have instances like this, public murders or, um, uh where people are seeing you know, someone running and getting blocked and shot or someone being suffocated by a, a, a knee placement or anything like that, it triggers, and I don't like to use that word either, but it is what it is. It triggers that, that dormant trauma that our grandparents, our great grandparents, our great grandparents, great, great, great grandparents all the way to the middle passage have endured. And it, it, it it does something to us and it's you know I always start these podcasts with our ancestors because our ancestors live within us right mm-hmm. Our blood is a, is a continuation of our first grandmother, our first grandfather right
1: mm-hmm. So
0: they live in us and what they've experienced we experience in in, in a more subtle form mm-hmm. um, by way of the things that just set us off We don't know why they set us off but they just do. So um, I think it's important for people to recognize that when someone is saying Black lives matter, for me, for my interpretation, they're talking about that intergenerational trauma and the fact that our lives matter in in the regard that we, we we require healing and we deserve healing and we deserve to be treated in a way that gives us that space to own ourselves, own our person and stop being assaulted or molested and give us the time to set a new cycle outside of the repetition of trauma from slavery trauma from jim crow trauma from um any other civil rights movement where we have just been pushed to the wayside mm-hmm. um so i looked at the definition and you can tell me if my definition is right because mm-hmm. i just like google or i duck duck i duck duck gold Um, So my definition was trauma or intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma is what happens when untreated trauma-related stress experienced by survivors is passed on to second and subsequent generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's accurate. Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
1: It is. That, that is, is, is 100% on point. So, you know, trauma that's passed, passed down from one generation to another. So it could be, you know, um, genocide, um, slavery, you know, of course, for us um, and other persons as well. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, community violence, you know, so anything that, that is essentially passed down. And it's not... My impression, um, and you know, the way that I look at things and people who come into my office, is that it's not necessarily those specific experiences that are passed down. It could be the impacts of those experiences that are passed down. Mm-hmm. Because every, you know, every woman or man who has been sexually abused, you know, that doesn't mean that their children are going to be sexually abused. It could be the the impacts of their abuse and how they internalize it and display it it is passed down to their um to their children so if you have experienced complex trauma in your life um so that means like repeated trauma over time you know usually stemming from childhood the way that you display love um the way that you manage your boundaries um can affect how you allow your children to attach to you mm-hmm. and so when we look at you know children who have secure attachments or anxious or avoided attachments it has to do with you know how their parents are are open to them how they're able to respond to them you know when they're going through distressing times, um and those things can affect the way that we invite love or danger into our lives um so it could be it could definitely be a number of things or it could be a situation where you know you have experienced abuse in the home and because of that you know your um, ability to recognize threat and danger has been diminished or Mm desensitized. so then you are opening yourself up to be in abusive and violent situations over time repeatedly because Mm -hmm. you are not you don't recognize something as a threat Mm -hmm. and it's and you're in and then you feel like all of a sudden I'm in an abusive relationship but it's like no these small things have built up and then now Someone is is literally punching you in the face, right? Or beating you with a bat because you didn't recognize that this yelling or throwing things or whatever is an indicator that this is an abusive person. So it's a lot of different things, um, and those are just you know two very um, basic examples. But there are a lot of different things um, that happen to us um, that are the impacts of trauma. And I think we talked about, um, yeah, we did talk about. So when I when I first got truly introduced to interracial trauma is when I did my first internship when I was in college mm-hmm. and I was working, I was placed at Metro health and I was working in a clinic um, that no longer longer exists, but it's called the Alpha Clinic. It was mm-hmm. called the Alpha Clinic. And basically what that was is that, you know, um, when there would be um, allegations of abuse that would come through the county you know, these families, these individuals will be referred to this specific clinic. Um, you know, the kids will come, the family will come. We will have to do a psychosocial assessment. So basically like history gathering um, to see what was going on, getting more details about the situation. Um, the kids will get, you know, like an examination, a rate tip and all of that. And then from there, they have the opportunity to participate in a group mm-hmm. and individual counseling. And I know I touched on how, you know, some of the kids will come through and it would be like sibling groups and they all had been, you know, molested or abused by a father or a boyfriend Um, and the mom, you know, she would appear to just be confused or clueless or, you know, she was aware, but didn't feel like she had the power to really speak up or protect her children. Mm -hmm. And it would just be family after family after family And it was just so, it was just so overwhelming and shocking to me um, just to see um, how, you know, parents were were truly not able to, you know, protect their children because they had disassociated so much that they, it was almost like they had blinders on or Mm -hmm. they were so paralyzed by fear that they didn't protect their children. Mm -hmm. And then... The daughter is being abused not the son and you know and it would just be passed down and then you would have situations where some of those kids would you know be perpetrators against other children outside of the home right um, so it was just really it was just like it was really really overwhelming um but i definitely developed a great sense of passion and just curiosity for um how that occurred what that looked like and how to really you, you want to be able to support people with being able to identify articula- and articulate mm-hmm. what trauma is, what the impact of trauma is because a lot of times you feel like oh this is normal, it's no big deal and it's like no right. it's not
0: yeah I was going to say because it sounds like over a period of time of course it becomes normal to you so you wouldn't recognize it as wrong if that's what you're accustomed to, if that's what you're used to, until it becomes like um, an over exaggerant, such as becoming a physical assault, right, to your person. Then it's like, oh wait, wow, like this, you know, this is this is not normal, this is not okay. But you didn't look at those signs because you're used to seeing your mother being talked down to or your father being talked down to, or your grandmother being like, you're used to that. That's that's what you're used to. Um And I was thinking about energetically what that means for us as people, like you know, chakra wise, energy wise, and our beginning in life. I mean, well, trauma can can set within the body and during pregnancy, right? So when your mother's pregnant with you, she's going through traumatic. Um, issue that can translate into the child because the child is receiving that blood they're going to feel those that adrenaline coming through all of those hormones coming through from your mother's uh, fight or flight response or whatever she's going through Mm -hmm. and so there's that embedment of trauma and then when you come out into the physical world you have these influences of trauma as well that bring about some instability in your foundation, right? So like root chakra the issues. Root shock where, where yeah. Mm-hmm. Issues where your environment don't provide you safety in order for you to feel loved, feel supported, feel protected, and you're automatically set in a state of survival mode because you don't mm-hmm. know what to expect from your own personal space, mm-hmm. causing trust issues, um, you know. Maybe some anger issues, not knowing how to relate with others, all mm-hmm. of those things. And um, these are these are learned behaviors, right? Because mm-hmm. our home environment is where we learn. We learn from my mother. Mm-hmm. We learn from those who are around us in our immediate family. We learn how to act, what's right and what's what's, what's wrong. And if you have that repeatedly, that that understanding completely there is no understanding, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, well, I thought that it was okay for me to touch you right there, or I thought that it was okay for me to talk to you like that. Um, You know, you hear some kids who are young and they talking to their mothers, like, they their girlfriends, calling calling their mothers bitches and, you know, hoes and mother laughing and thinking that it's funny. And it's like, but your daughter's like six, you know what I mean? Like, Or well, your daughter's four, it's not okay for your child to be speaking to you like that, she's not grown she's supposed to be speaking to you as her as a child speaks to their mother um and being able to still hold her 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 childhood right so um the fact that it becomes to a place where like a mother or whomever your caretaker is is just numb where they don't know how to protect you and I think we talked about how, like, the person that, how the person that's doing the assaulting is present in the space as well. Like, nothing's happening. Like, even that is, it's that's scary. It's frightening because mm-hmm. at some point that person is masking. They're not taking accountability. They may not see anything wrong with it. Who knows what threats happen? You know what I mean? Like that whole conversation on the way on the way to the facility. Like, don't say nothing. I'm gonna beat everybody. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know what those conversations are. So. When you, you know, thinking about all Melanated people, because all of us have a very, very similar story where we kind of get hushed. You get hushed, you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking about it earlier, as within slavery, you hush, you be quiet so that way your life, you can still live. You don't get killed, you don't get a limb cut off, you don't get beaten, you don't get any form of a repercussion that could be in a negative, you keep your mouth shut and you let this person do to you something that is should not ever be done to anybody. But you stay quiet, right? Mm-hmm. So in those moments where we are, or a person is, experiencing trauma, there is that silence, right? There is that moment of, I can't speak up, I can't tell my mother because she sees it, but she doesn't want to believe me. If I tell somebody it's going to be my fault, um, this right. person that is doing this to me is telling me that they're going to hurt me more, or they may hurt another family member, and it silences you. So now you have, you know, that that vocalization being cut off, your expression being cut off, your your sense of any type of willpower or feeling like you have any type of strength or ability to. Um, be present in that moment that's taken away from you and then it's your sense of self your self esteem you know what I mean what that means for you so it's like when I look at the world and how they and how the world treats us people of color persons of color indigenous people children women trans people as if we don't have a voice and then when we do begin to speak up you get upset about that it's like no these are all of the years Accumulated of me being told to be silent, of you continuing again to put your your foot on my neck, to put my back up against the wall, to uh, to aggress be aggressive towards my person, and now I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, how like do you do you find that some of your clients show um, a high level of aggression from not being able to express?
1: Mm -hmm. yeah 100% so when we so when you think like you said when you think about you know the circumstances around you know your abuse um all of those things affect you so you know you you feeling afraid because you don't feel like you know you don't feel like and it's actually true that the person who you know is your primary caretaker cannot will not will not um, stand up for you and protect you Um, you know, the the perpetrator still being in the home, whether it's your brother, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's your father, um, and you not being able to do anything about it. You know, the person may be the primary um, breadwinner, the provider, you know, so it's a lot lot of things that impact, you know, when and how people speak up and if they don't speak up. But definitely, um, if you think about the emotional tone that is in the house so whether it's very, you know, volatile and verbally abusive or whether it's just very quiet and, you know, people are silent and you can't say anything. Um, you know, we, we experience emotions because it's our way of communicating with the environment and, um, and how we respond to the environment, how we see the environment, like our emotions serve a purpose. So if you're not able to fully express your emotions, there's a whole process that needs to happen that's being suppressed or repressed um so that really plays into you know your self-regulation abilities you know if you if you are experiencing you know an extremely emotional and distressing time if you have never fully been able to let that out and then be supported and um, you know coddled or protect whatever you needed in that moment for your parent to comfort you. If you never experience that, once you have an opportunity to let those emotions out, you may not even know you know what that means. And I think a lot of people, um, when they get to points where where they want to cry they feel like they don't want to because they don't know what's going to happen. Like if I let Mm -hmm. all of these emotions come out, cause it's not Mm going to just be an emotion from this one event. It's going to be a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. that I never was able to let out. What's going to happen? Am I going to have a nervous breakdown? Am I going to end up in the hospital? So Mm -hmm. then it's like you resort to what you've been doing and you try to stuff it down or it could be, you know, the adverse reaction, the other side of it, um, that you're extremely angry because you Mm -hmm. have been silent and shut down for so long. Um, because you, you, you know, are bitter and you have just like that rage, you know, that needs to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it comes out, it's like, I'm unleashing every single beast in my body, my imagination, wherever it is coming from, I'm unleashing it on you, Mm -hmm. even though this situation isn't appropriate, but I'm gonna let the lid off this thing and I'm just going to let it go. Um, Mm -hmm. and then not even being concerned about the consequences. So you definitely see, you know, extreme anger, extreme rage, um, sadness, or fear of expressing emotions because you just don't know, you know, what that will look like for you if you allow the cycle um, to take place, and, and that just really is that po- the poor, um, you know, self-regulation skills.
0: Yeah, I I um, appreciate you you speaking about a person fear or like, um, yeah, fear to to not want to express their emotional state. That's like a huge, 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 huge uh, truth and hurdle within healing Mm -hmm. is that people are afraid of what's going to happen if I really open this door, if I really allow for everything to come out, Mm -hmm. if I really allow for myself to go through that, because number one, you got to go through it again, right? You got to, you, you, you have trained your mind to push, push past that moment. It's happened, but we don't talk about that. You just keep going. You know, it's just a switch that you flip on and you, you move forward. You're resilient, you're strong, and you you show up for your life how you have to. Mm -hmm. But at some point when it becomes overly, uh, detrimental to your well-being where maybe you're not able to function you can't figure out why you may be having issues with focusing or why you get so upset so quickly you know or why certain things are emotional to you and if a person is like okay i am finally going to go see michelle and sit on her couch or her table or her wherever wherever you have in place i'm finally going to go see her and do this work or if a person will come to me i um, willing to to do that for themselves as well, women to step into their own healing. It's it's a conversation like whatever happens, it's okay if it comes out. You don't have to. This is this is a space. This is an element where you no longer have to suppress. This is about you. We're here for you. You need to let these things out, and whatever you feel is okay and that is the moment that i think most people are afraid of like you said like am i going to have a psychotic break if i go ahead and let all these emotions come out and the truth of the matter is you may you know what i mean it might happen and that's all right um as long as you have the additional tools and support system to walk you through it so Mm -hmm. that way you can not hold on to what is coming out and looks like a psychotic break because in my mind it's not a psychotic break it's just your body is realigning itself your mind is realigning itself your emotions are realigning and they're finally finally letting go of all of the things that you carpet in your body you know mm-hmm. on a molecular level in an emotional level spiritual level mental level physical level everything that you carpet in your in your person over however many years from an inconsistent relationship or an um, unhealthy relationship with your family is coming out of you, and it is allowed to do that. You know, we're, we are we are going to give it space for it to go somewhere and have a seat. <laughs> you know, we're gonna put it in the corner and assess it and mm-hmm. help you to come back into um, balance within yourself and your true self. Because even within those moments of that trauma, when that's happening from physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, like that person at that point in time, their self gets taken away. You know, even for them to have to quiet their voice, like at that point, your person is no longer at the forefront. You've now had to put on a cloak, a mask, some armor for you to just even function. So you may not even be in touch with your own personal self. So then there's that, right? But you can only get to that after you've had these emotional breakthroughs that are uncomfortable. That shit is uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. I've had a couple in my life, you know what I mean? It happens. Every every seven years we go through some transition, whether self-induced or by our environment. So it's not, it's not pretty, but if a person is willing or if a person is ready to show up for themselves in their healing environment, then it is going to be beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just getting through that fear and, mm-hmm. For myself, coming from a more, I guess, a spiritual aspect of healing, I kind of see at some points where people that do work when it comes to energy don't give that conversation to the person that they're treating. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm gonna have you come in, you're gonna sit on my table, we're gonna balance your chakras, we're gonna get your chakras balanced, and you know, Mm -hmm. we're gonna do some breath work and energy work and you're gonna feel really great. But it's like, what happens when someone has an emotional response to right. what you're what you're stimulating within their energetic field, what you're stimulating mm-hmm. from that that conversation, mm-hmm. how do you how do you guide them in that moment to let them release it? Because you can't balance something if you are trying to have you know what I mean. Like you can't wow. balance it if you're not allowing them to release it, or at least making them aware of the pros and cons of what it means to do quote-unquote the work right
1: so this is this is so synchronistic so I'm going to come back around to that question because it's kind of like a breakdown of three things so the first thing that um that I wanted to say and it was um something that you mentioned before so when you think about when when people you know come into your space when you speak you know therapy you're looking for you know, an individual to support you. Um, so when people, you know, when they come through, you know, when they when it's a phone consultation, when they, you know, have the first visit or whatever, you know, we always talk about, um, you know, no matter what kind of training or you know whatever your niche is in the fields, um, you know how amazing you are. Um, and you need those things. You need your licensure and the expertise to be able to to be qualified to do the work. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the major thing that really determines success is the relationship that you're able to build with your client. Mm-hmm. That therapeutic, you know, the rapport, the therapeutic relationship, the therapeutic alliance. So I always tell my people like any other relationship, therapy is a relationship. You have to get to know me and how I you know, present uh, my personality, all of that, you know, how I bring myself and my clinical expertise into this space mm-hmm. um, and for you. And then I also have to get to know you. Um, sometimes you know right away whether or not it's a good fit. And other times you don't, you know, it takes time. So I always encourage people to give it about three to five sessions if they aren't on the fence or if they just feel okay, you know, just to determine whether or not they feel like it's a good fit before you just give it a wash. But like I said, sometimes you know right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I always tell people. And it's so interesting because someone asked me recently, you know, what do I feel are the major contributors to the, su- to the success rate of, you know, clients in therapy? So the one piece of it, the, the major piece is the relationship, the therapeutic relationship. Am I able to establish a relationship and vibe with this person well enough to trust them, to tell them all of my shit, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it's like, you know, you and I have a relationship, but over time, through trust and you know mutual understanding and reciprocity now we've opened up more and our relationship is more fruitful
0: mm-hmm. the
1: same thing in the therapeutic space the other part of it is readiness so sometimes you feel something happens when you feel like you're ready but therapy is hard work mm-hmm. your clinician is not there to do the work for you we are mm-hmm. there to support you and to give you perspective um, and to ch- definitely challenge you but really support you and more where you need to go but it's hard work. It's no joke and you have to be ready to do the work. Sometimes you feel like you are and you go in for one thing, but so many other things come up and then you're like, damn, I'm not really ready for this. Right. I want to do this work. So it is a relationship and then it's and it's the readiness piece from my, mm-hmm. you know, from from my experience, you know, from being a therapist. Um so that's you know one thing that I really, really try to encourage people to understand. And then sometimes you it's a good fit but then over time you're like, you know what? I'm growing, and I'm changing, and Michelle can't do for me what I need her to do. So maybe I need to seek out another method or another form of support to give me the things that I need to get. And sometimes that can be a little tricky for clients because, you know, they get attached and they don't want to, and they feel like it's personal, and it's really not. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all here for a reason and a season. So you have to really, really take ownership of your space, and clinicians know this is your time, your space, your investment your investment if you feel like you've gotten everything that you needed to get and you need to move on you need to do that and it's okay or if you just feel like you can't get it then you can you can restart the process we can give you resources um you know to find what you need so that's one part of it um the second part of it is you know like you mentioned if you if you go to any healer any clinician or whatever to do that that mental emotional um energy, spiritual work, um, you think that you're going to go in and it's like, oh, I feel great. I got a lot of stuff off. But when you go to a therapy session, um, depending on what the tone is, it can really be emotional and hard work in that space or sometimes it can just flow and it's really good. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. I feel like crap. Mm-hmm. So you I always tell people, well, often tell people, when you think about therapy sessions especially if you're truly truly invested because everybody is different you know some people are very guarded and you just get superficial stuff so it's like okay i it's not it's only so much work that i can do that, that we can do in this space but if you're really doing the work you're investing and you're opening yourself up when you leave a therapy session it's almost like detox, it's detoxing, like mm-hmm. that afterburn, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you do the kettlebell swings and you have an afterburn, if you go to a salt cave or if you get a massage, they tell you drink water the rest of the day, don't drink alcohol, the next couple of days you may experience this, this and that. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with the therapy session because your adrenaline is going, right. you leave therapy, you go about your life and then like a day or two later, you start to think about the stuff that they said. If you have a homework assignment, you have to set up your space to even get back into that mode and do your homework assignment. So I think like a lot of people don't even understand that part of it. It's not just about going to therapy every Thursday. It's like, damn, I need to take care of myself because I got to reflect on this assignment. Or we talked about some major stuff. And when I left the office, you know, I put my little defense mechanism cape on, Mm -hmm. but Saturday, my cape is, is wearing a little thin and I'm not feeling good. So you know you really that's one part of it that I really really try to keep get people to keep in mind that there is there are going to be you know some after effects some people who are really invested and present they're able to get it and then other people aren't but it is something that you know that's something for clinicians um for us to really really help people to understand that it's, it's work and it is interesting um yeah. so the third part of it is like that breakthrough that break down that break whatever it is a break and the you know you got a break you know so you can reform and you can repair like that whole thing mm-hmm. um it is very scary you know when you go into therapy because you don't know you know you don't know what's going to come out you don't know how you're going to feel you don't know what the therapist's energy their space and their environment you don't know what it's going to allow you to do and to feel you know you may go in there right away and just feel like to see the person and feel like I can open up to this person, right. or you may sense something, and then you just break down. And you're like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting this today." So, the one thing that that I really appreciate about new um, therapeutic relationships, um, where I haven't really established like a full relationship, but the person is just open. Like, I went through this, I went through that, I went through that, right. and then they have, and then they have a crisis. Um, you know, soon after even though it's it's really rough. But the thing that I appreciate about those situations are that you have taken the steps to take care of yourself. You have linked with a mental health professional. You know, you have um, formed that connection and that person is on record for you. So if you go through a very scary, extreme situation where you land in the hospital, you have someone there that is going to support you and that is going to be there for you. And a lot of times I find in those situations, um, it really, it just does a, a very magical thing for the trust. You know what I mean? That's developed between the clinician and the client. Because a lot of times when you have people who have the um, crises immediately, they have issues with trust. They usually don't have a good support system or if they do it's very chaotic um very enmeshed and they and and the family doesn't have like a a good understanding so when you have the opportunity to really be there for the individual and to support them to educate them on what to expect to educate the family on what to expect you know with that whole hospitalization i feel like it really really does an amazing thing um, for treatment and when i get into those situations i always remind and commend the client that they knew that they needed someone in their corner before they got to that place, and that's why I'm here, and we're gonna figure it out, and we're gonna work through it. Because when you get out of the hospital, it's a whole nother set of things that come from you even being there. Some people do really well with, you know, quieting themselves and doing the work, and then some people, they retreat even more. Like, whoa, I had to go to the hospital. All my people know I'm embarrassed, or. It brought up some things that I'm not ready for, um, but I still think that it's a good thing for those individuals to have someone that they can identify with that they can always reach back to for support. And I think that for me, that's an indicator that they are more self-aware than what they thought, but it's just that readiness piece that determines whether or not they continue on with treatment or not after that point.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that um, doubly. Just because number one, Therapy, work, energy work, any type of healing—it needs to be intentional. And it—you have like I feel like you have your two types of family. You have your family like you—you need to get to therapy, right? And you are resistant to uh, that—that suggestion because you're like, how you gonna tell me what I need Mm -hmm. to do? You don't know what's best for me. This is what your problem is. You are showing me how to live my life, you know, X, Y, and Z, and whatever else. And then you have those people, those same people that over a certain amount of time, when things are not working for them, they're like, okay, I think you may have been right. I think that I might have to get into some therapy. Thank you for, you know, pushing me in that place, even though I wasn't ready. And then you have those that are intentional about their healing, who are like, I need I need to go. Like, this is not working for me. My life is not working for me. I am like fucking up myself. at in all areas and aspects, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I need someone to help me because how I've been functioning has not worked well for me. And you have, you know, certain responses from family. And I think it's good to educate your family as well because your family's expectations of you and what that looks like because you are family gets all over the place. You know, I don't know Mm -hmm. how many times for myself I've been told, oh, you need to be like this because we're, you know, we this. you know, this is how we are, we like this. And it's like, okay, no, that's how you are. That's not Mm -hmm. how I am, right? And in the process of understanding my own personal self-awareness and being um, accountable for my person, it's not my responsibility to carry on family patterns. You know what I mean? Like That's also a, a huge part of that intergenerational trauma is the expectation that, oh, we're family, this is how our family does things. And we're supposed to continue? No, like that's not working for me. You know, every, every generation is different. We learn different. We have different experiences. We understand differently. And we can't continue to process the same way because what I see your process was definitely didn't work for you. It just, it just didn't work. So I know that that process is sure shit not gonna work for me. I gotta figure out myself. And however you wanna judge me. It, it, it kind of hurts in a way for you to, like, tell your family to piss off. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're not helping me. You're not feeding my process for health, to be healthy. And sometimes you just have to. You have to say, hey, I am. I need to go through this. And you're either going to be there for me or you're not going to be there for me. Either way, I'm going to step into this path because I have to live my life. You know I, I have to wake up in the morning and feel how I feel. I have to wake up in the morning and have these experiences and go through through my day with these thoughts and these actions and you know whatever insecurities I'm feeling. I need to work through that. and if you can't support that, then I don't know what to say. Like, this is this is my moment for me to claim my own feeling, my own space without what that looks like for you because personally, family members, you yourself have not done any type of work. So you don't have any space, right, or room to tell somebody else how to do their own. So, you know, that's also a, that's also a realization within mm-hmm. within those traumatic spaces. It's like, yeah, you begin to bump heads. like, okay, mommy or daddy or auntie, grandma, whomever that wants to give you some solid advice, the, the, the Medeas that want to give you that advice, right? Mm-hmm but they don't take their own advice. You know what I mean? Like You're you're trying to tell me what to do, but you haven't um, structured your own life around a sound foundation. And if I were to reflect that truth back to you, you can't take it, right? Mm -hmm. So until you can swallow your own medicine, don't try to give me food, okay? So um, the breakthrough and the breakdown is crucial when it comes down to be supported. Whether it is blood family or family that we have created of our own, we do need to have that in our in our corner. And people need to understand that and not come from a space of judgment or looking at you like, oh, my God, you're fucking changing. What's wrong with you? It's like, well, uh, you know, I got shit coming up and it's not pleasant if it's not pleasant for me i know it's not pleasant for you but think about it for me you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. this is my stuff coming up this is my purge happening so whatever you're feeling is like secondhand smoke you know what i mean like whatever whatever you're feeling from my discomfort you're just you're just in the space you're seeing the residual of it but i actually have to wake up in the morning and just start crying for whatever reason because i had a realization from my therapy session two days ago Mm -hmm. you know i was really thinking about it or as you said, and I appreciate that you spoke about homework, because I'm always giving some homework. I'm like, you need a journal. <laughs> Bring the journal and prepare, mm-hmm. because when you get off the table, this is just, like you said, the superficial service work. But when you come back, we're going to revisit what we talked about in the last time that I saw you and what it means. What did you do within that week? What did you do within that two week or that one month span that I haven't seen you? And where are you now? Hey, let's, let's go from there. It's a whole entire process. It is not a quick 30-minute, one-hour session. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for the world to understand that when people are talking about what triggers them, what sets them off, what traumatic experience they've had, and what it means to be resilient and strong, to tell someone that they should just get over something so quickly is completely wrong. Just don't do that. It is. It should never be expected for a person to just jump back so fast, because you don't know how those experiences have set in their body. And you know, when we talk about emotional trauma or verbal, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. That's like a slow breakdown. You know, it's like um uh. I don't know, I don't wanna say like acid, but something, some chemical imbalance that's happening where your your mentality, your brain is slowly breaking down where you just become low where you're descending into a space of just, oh shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you you come out of that moment and you have to kind of restructure and rewire your brain to no longer thinking in this way of, of the emotional trauma or the verbal trauma that you've experienced, and people don't recognize like what you're what you're doing that's not right that's not you know it's not fair to you and you can't explain that a person can't explain hey I've been through this this is how I felt during it and this is why because it's, it's, it's subjective it's so personal that there will be no words in the dictionary that you could possibly come up with to to understand to help a person understand let's say themselves have gone through it Mm-hmm. and
1: I think that that's so interesting too because if we think about you know knowing that traumatic experiences changes the brain you know it changes it actually changes the, the structure of the brain um, and then you know also too it just really coloring or discoloring your lens and the way that you see the world um, so when you talked about um, when you were just talking about like the different ways of thinking or you know how verbal abuse all of it, it affects you in a different way. So you can be in in an environment where your mother was very, very verbally abusive and never physically abusive. You've never been sexually abused. One Mm -hmm. kid can have, you know, can feel, can be fine. You know, they can be an overachiever um, and they may not be as greatly um, impacted because of their self-esteem or um, their ability um, to allow people or society expect for, you know, um, persons of color to be able to get over things quickly and I think that that's interesting when we know about you know the research of, of you know how trauma impacts the brain it changes the brain it changes the way that you know that we think and in our lens for um, just for life in general so all of the impacts of, of trauma so you talked about um, it, it creating like a sense of like distrust and not feeling, you know, comfortable in your environment. So if you mm-hmm. think about, um, you know, you being vigilant, not trusting people um, out in the home or outside of the home. Mm-hmm. If you think about, you know, having poor, you know, self-regulation skills and not being able to pick up on appropriate social cues and how to respond and how to, you know, interpret those things, having those distorted, you know, thinking patterns, like, you know, all, of, all or nothing or generalization mm-hmm. or magnification, like all of those defense mechanisms that, you know, you know, we all gravitate towards certain ones in different ways. But when you are, you know, extremely traumatized, um, the structure of your brain changes. You can have difficulty um, with just learning and comprehending. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if I can't comprehend what you're saying, then how can I even move forward with this job application or handling and managing conflict appropriately, you know, on in a social setting in an academic setting um you know in a professional environment Mm -hmm. so i think that you know with you know with us being so educated about the impact of trauma and then just ignoring all of these groups of people who have generational trauma you know it definitely it 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 just doesn't make sense like how can how can we say this without you know so who so whose trauma affects who in what way So it was just really that part of it, you know, that part of it is is really interesting for me. And it was was something else that you said when you were talking about um, the family and how you grow into your own person and realize that you need to do certain things for yourself to really step into yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And when you said that, it really, really, you know, makes me think about boundaries and doing, you know, that foundational boundary work, you know, with, you know, clients. You know, it's difficult when you work with, you know, people who are um, still children or still living, you know, with their family, the family of origin Mm -hmm. or, or... Um, you know the people who are like the greatest source of you know their trauma and the things that they've been through so they only have so much control over you know what they can do and what boundaries that they they put in place Mm -hmm. but if we just really think about how our family is the stage play for how we interact with the world Mm -hmm. then we have to think about when we get the opportunity to separate from that we have to establish a new set of boundaries and that group of people that place you know what I mean like that that stage is a first place where you need to practice
0: yeah
1: better boundaries your, like your new boundaries yeah. it's like rehearsal like mm-hmm. okay my mother you know never listens to me and she over talks me or she doesn't respect that I have a, a, a you know a different view than her so let me practice putting this boundary in place you know, when my brother calls me, he's always dumping on me or messing up my mood. So when I'm in a car listening to Mary J before I go to work, because that's my time, let me honor myself and not answer the phone Mm -hmm. because I don't want this to disrupt my day. So Mm -hmm. really, you know, putting those boundaries in place um, in that environment so you can practice doing it in other spaces. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not doing it with them, then you're definitely not doing it out in the world, but it, it just may look a little different. So you are allowing people to disrespect you and violate your personal boundaries. You mm-hmm. know, you are you are not speaking up, you know, in meetings or if somebody offends you, you know, you're laughing it off. So even though it may not look the same as what happens in, in your with your family or origin and that that place that you come from,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's, it's still those same boundaries that you carry, you know, into a new environment. So the one thing that I that I really like to start with um, is is revisiting those boundaries
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how you can tighten them up mm-hmm. um, and really honor yourself and figure out what you need and who your inner voice is Because so if you're mm-hmm. letting people violate your boundaries all around there's no way that you can listen to what's going on up here and in here it's right. just noise it's just you know what I mean it's, it's noise it's like somebody is literally walking around in your brain just like smacking pots around oh, Right.
0: Man. right so it's
1: like okay we got to put those, we have to put those boundaries in place so you can spend time more time with yourself for yourself you definitely yeah. you definitely definitely have to do that
0: yeah there's um there were some things that I was looking at when I was looking at the intergenerational trauma and you, you talked about it it was like um, basically over time it's like the development of poor cognitive styles and coping strategies more stressful experiences for mental health are uh, more prone to experiencing stress and parenting deficits, support parenting, abuse, neglect, and et cetera. So this, this ends up going into like the second generation and then generations after. So, you know, when you think about people that may be experiencing some form of abuse in the household, but you would not know that because they possibly carry themselves a certain way, right? So it's like, I may carry it well, but it doesn't mean the load is heavy. That's like that great, I love it, quote, so cool quote, I know right these shoulders are tense my like what's it called my supraspinatus I'm using my medical (laughs) massage term. my supraspinatus and my rhomboids are tight because I'm carrying a lot you don't know it I I come with my best face every day but when I'm in a work environment and something may be happening in my work environment or my school environment that just is in the same alignment of the trauma that I get at home I'm gonna come at you aggressive right I'm not having a bad day. I'm not a difficult person. It's just that you don't know what it's like at my house, right? You don't know what it's like for me to open my refrigerator and there's no food in there, right? And if I go to try to get food, it's a liquor store that has uh, hot Cheetos. Chips. Chips, sugar, sugar, sugar water. That's colored juice, right. that's what they call it. But the sugar water. Some now and later, maybe some eggs. I don't know, half of them are cracked. And then you expect for me to uh not feel some kind of way about that. And then I gotta come to my job and my work and hear this person talk to me like I'm not um adequate or I can't comprehend or I don't understand. You know what I mean? And all you gotta do is worry about why the light isn't turning green enough or green quick enough for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. You're gonna go to happy hour and have a scotch meat, right? Top, top shelf, give it to me right now. Right. You're going to go home to your wife and your kids and ask your daughter how her day was, your son how his day was, and, you know, plan your kayaking trip. And my ass got to make sure that I got to get home before this sun goes down and these street lights come on because I got to go past this corner right now and I'm not supposed to be on. Because if right. I look at somebody the wrong way, they can see that as a threat, right? So I got I to gotta fight my own battles within, within my own culture versus come to work and look at your ass trying to tell me that I can't do my job just because I'm hungry. I can't function, you know what I mean? Or I, I just woke up and I heard my mom talking to her boyfriend or some kind of way that ain't nothing I can do because he's taking care of my mother, right? Like you said, the breadwinner. So it's all these things. It's like you don't know a person's walk. And because you don't know that person's walk, that does not give you a right to project anything onto them. Like you said, our lenses. And right now, right now, what's happening in the world? All that rose-colored, rose-colored glasses, all that shit is coming off. Okay? Ain't no <laughs> rose. Ain't no uh, what you? What is it? Blue? Whatever color glass that you got on is off. It's 2020 <laughs> vision. You're gonna see clear as fuck right now. Right. What's going on around you? What's happening in your own personal life? So it's like, right now we got to with corona. So it's like, okay, now I gotta do some self-reflection. I don't even like sitting in the house with my ass. Damn, I got to like, can't go nowhere, can't go to the bar, can't go to the mall, can't do nothing. Mm-hmm. We are lucky because we are able to do those things still. There's some other places, New York, New Jersey. Uh, I think they shut LA down Atlanta that can't do that anymore you gotta sit your ass in the house <laughs> come in the house sit down we have the ability to at least go to a park so you have your introspection you have your, your outer uh, vision here within the world just what, what's going mm-hmm. on it's making us look at ourselves and understanding that everyone's life even though we share the, the same story for the most part they're not all the same mm-hmm. and people's voices are valid and people's experiences are valid. And, and if you're having a bad day or if you're having a moment of uncertainty or fear, that fear comes from a place in your own trauma. And this is not about uh, BIPOC people. This is about our counterparts, right? Other races and other other uh, nationalities, whatever fear they have. That comes out as projection. That is a projection to murder someone To be aggressive towards them is a projection of your own fear because you couldn't come from a place of understanding or compassion. You weren't able to see outside of your own lens and your own perspective of what you were thinking. And so you made the choice to assault a person to the extent that they are no longer on this planet. You know, they're no longer in this realm. And that is a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a conversation about how some people in certain areas can't even stand in the Whole Foods line because they don't want to put a mask on. Like, just put it on for however many minutes you're gonna you're not gonna be in the grocery store for two hours, three hours, four hours for the rest of the night. You're gonna be in there for twenty minutes at maximum. You got your list. I know you got your list. You got your list on you already know what you wanna make for dinner, your little pasta, little stuff. And then you leave and when you get to your car you take your mask off. It's just it's just the mindfulness of what it means to be aware of other people. It's very, very precedent that that, for some, not all, but for some people just don't give shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like even under the umbrella of all lives matter, I don't think people even put themselves under that category. They just wanna say all oh, to be defiant. But does that does, it's does just that? A yeah, it's you just know, a it's, knee-jerk it's, it's, it's just rebellion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, is it when you say all lives, all lives matter? Do you include yourself in that? Do you include your family in that? Do you include your neighbor in that? All aspects, because all is general. So even if even in you saying that all lives matter, <laughs> Black lives matter, trans lives matter, women's lives matter, children's lives matter, your animals lives matter plant lives matter you know what i mean like it's for you to say that it's 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 kind of it doesn't serve a purpose counterintuitive Mm -hmm. because you're trying to be clever but it's not so it is what it is but it's so important for us as people not only as melanated people and indigenous people diasporic people to understand that we have a right to own our space we have a right to say i am here i'm present i am in the same room that you are in i am breathing the same recycled air that you are breathing i have a right to go about my day and have success and have goals and dreams and aspirations and i have a right to my life and my life's purpose just like anybody else and that conversation in itself is kind of disgusting that a person has to say that right but In order for someone to understand why I'm saying my life matters, you have to understand that for years the things that have been done to me and my family have shown that people don't give a shit about my life. So I want you to understand why my life matters because when my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother whomever came over from her tribe over here, not of her own will, but of someone else's, and was told that she couldn't even be herself. She was stripped of her culture, stripped of her language, stripped of her ways um, in a land that she didn't understand the nature around her. You know what I mean? She couldn't practice her religion and she had to be quiet as she watched her children being taken away from her, her body being um, exploited. How dare you tell me that I don't have a right to say that my life matters. This is for her, this is for him, this is for all of my my relatives that didn't survive by being overworked or being murdered or killed for being useless stock. Do you know what I'm saying? Like That's what it comes down to. And you can't sit up here and try to dismiss that history because it's a reality. No matter what the history books tell you, no matter what people say about, oh, get over it, you can't get over it when you don't allow for people to have ownership of their person and give them space to heal themselves and mind their fucking business because half the time these people are minding their business. Why aren't you minding yours?
1: And I think that that, you know, what you spoke about, you know, is just that, you know, the systems that are in place and have been in place, um, you know, since over 400 years ago to remind us that our lives don't matter. Somewhat, like you said, when you go out your house and you want to get food for your family, not having access to nutritionist food. You know what I mean? You know, when you look at the neighborhoods that we live in and it's all of these ran down, dilapidated homes and buildings that are not being, you know, rebuilt. You know, are people not taking pride in their environment and not cleaning up the space? Or when we go to apply for a job, um, you know, being afraid or paranoid that our name is going to be an indicator. Um, that we shouldn't be considered for the job, you know, or if Mm -hmm. we're working on a job and being afraid to speak up about, you know, us feeling like we deserve a raise or even requesting a pay audit, you know? So I think that it's at every turn and every place that we go, we are reminded that we have put these barriers in front of you because you don't mean shit. And we live with that fear every single day and a lot of times and especially you know our parents and our grandparents even the way that they speak they are they're fearful of us like what did you do what did they say they didn't mm-hmm. speak out certain opportunities because they were afraid of them being rejected or not you know being able to even qualify or feeling like they had to stay in a certain place because it was safe or they didn't want the little bit that they had to be Mm -hmm. revealed to be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not even just us experiencing the impacts of trauma in our homes. It's in society. We are constantly traumatized and to be (laughs) rejected, to go, you know, to and sometimes like you get a little bit of hope and you get an interview. Sometimes you'll have like, (laughs) I've had interviews where I had to stay for a day and shadow and, and perform and to be rejected when I, I'm not going to say that I should have gotten the job mm-hmm. but I definitely know that I could have gone further than what I was allowed to go and mm-hmm. some even that, you know, can do something to your dignity, sometimes it can do something to your self esteem depending on how many times you run into those situations and then you start to feel like, okay, have I been rejected this many times for these type of opportunities and I've done all of this work and accumulated these student loans Maybe I should just stay right here in this space. Right. And I know, especially for you know, social workers or counselors or clinicians, we are groomed and built to be workers. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the type of people who are working in our communities, you know, the social workers and the caseworkers, they are rundown older Black people who some of them don't have a license or they haven't gone that far or they don't believe that they can go, you know, that far. The little bit that I've done, I'm like, damn, I can't even believe that I have my own practice. You know, right. so I think that, you know, we it, it definitely impacts us in our homes and how we respond to our children, how we care for our children, how we love our partners. You mm-hmm. know how we mm-hmm. treat our siblings and uplift mm-hmm. our parents and prepare to take care of them as they age and just, mm-hmm. be, you know, honor and respect them as they're, they're transitioning in life and, and, and preparing the next genera- generation to do so in a very loving and caring way as our yes. ancestors did. So it's yes. one thing that, you know, we, we are not doing those things in our homes, but then we have to go outside of our homes and experience another set of traumatic experiences that are so intricate and embedded in detail and just gut punching and all of those things and, it, and it's like, we're just doing it over and over again in every situation. So it's like, of course you're gonna be irritable. Of, of course you're gonna be hypervigilant and volatile and not having good conflict you know, management skills because you feel like every situation, someone is out to get me. Why do you ask me about that? You know, it's like, where do we get a break? Where do we have the space in the room and the opportunity, like you said, to care for ourselves and heal ourselves and recognize This is how my traumatic experiences affected me. I am not these experiences. I am not my emotions. I can be an observer of the things that are happening to me and I can treat these things and heal these things and massage these things so that they can work for my benefit so I can really step into a better version of myself. That's all we
0: want, man. That's like a whole, that's all all the snacks, because right. Just because these things have been categorized, or it has been told these are my characteristics, they're not. I don't have to take ownership of what it means for a person to tell me, you know, based off of their very small experience of my lifestyle or my livelihood, what and who I am. And Black excellence, Black wellness, Black health, Black um, uh, experience indigenous experience like for me like i don't even you know yes black people but i don't know i don't disassociate myself from any other melanated group because i feel like we all have the same story in some way we were all colonized at some point Mm -hmm. so all melanated people have a right to excel within their craft right Mm -hmm. it is okay for you to excel and be um just as present as any other influencer, public speaker, motivos, that you excel and break those molds. Because when we do that, we are, and I was talking to Lauren about this as well. When we do that, we are at that point, changing the dynamic of that intergenerational trauma, right? We are breaking, breaking the cycle and the pattern of the fear of the uncertainty of the insecurity even to push through the traumatic situation, So you have your breakdown, you have that shit real good, right? You sit in that moment, you go ahead and let yourself feel every piece of anger, every pain, you cut something out, you punch something, you whatever mm-hmm. you gotta do to release it. So that way, that feeling goes away from you. You don't ever have to feel it. And you make that intention that this is the last time I am going to go through this. I don't have to allow anyone to insert themselves in my person, whether it be a family member, whether it be my neighbor, whether it be a friend, whether it be my coworker or my boss or whatever, wherever I'm at, because I exist not only within my community, but as a person. Mm -hmm. My person has value and has a right to thrive and live and experience and do its purpose work, right? Because we all come here to do something, but we get swayed by those... Um, feelings of having to live out a legacy of our family or whatever else has been interjected onto us. You know, we we ourselves have our own our own entity, so that has to be honored as well. So it's very very important that we recognize that no matter what, and just because like you know, I know that people look to celebritism as a big thing. We can be that too. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to live vicariously through our celebrities. We can we can be that as well maybe not on that on that scale if that's not what you want to do but if that's what you want to do you can be that so I know it's past our time we can talk about this like forever and ever and I I do want to continue the conversation and I thank you for your time and coming on your expertise your passion your knowledge your wisdom your power I love you I support you and um can you please tell people if they wanted to get in contact like what's your information where can they find you okay
1: well first of all i want to say thank you for having me this um this was this was a, a very good um conversation and it was nice to be able to talk about these things in a very informative way but still in a in a um I'm not going to say in a casual way, but it definitely was not as, you know, strongly clinically focused as I'm used to processing this information. So I appreciate this. This was nice. (laughs) Um, But if you want to, um, you know, get in contact with me, my um, email address is change at mfrierson.com. And that is M is in Mary, F-R-I-E-R-S-O-N.com. If you want to check you know check me out check more about my background out Um, my website is com, and um, all the ways to contact me are um, on the contact page so com.
0: i will include your information in my um, description for this this episode and for myself because i haven't been doing that and my mom was like how people gonna, gonna talk to you and say things and give you commentary So you can email me at soultreehealth at gmail.com. It's S-O-L-T-R-E-E. You can also find me on Instagram, soultree underscore healing. And uh, there's some other things that I'm working on right now, a website that's forthcoming. But I appreciate everybody for listening today. I hope that you you took something away from it, even for yourself, education-wise, share, like, give your feedback we need we need to understand what we should be doing for our own healing.